Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Biz Dads, episode 4, coming at you. We've got a little wrap-up of the NFL Draft we'll talk about, Andres and I continuing to be sucked into the last dance. We've got some good segments coming ahead, some things I think we're both really passionate about. Leadership, talk a little bit about how that plays into fatherhood and business. We'll talk uh, about some parenting 101, a couple things we learned this week. Something that's obviously pretty close to both of our hearts too is entrepreneurship. We're going to dig in with a couple key pointers that we've both learned along the way and then finish it off with our final four the most influential business people or or mentors that have had an impact on our life we'll hear a little bit from producer twist too let's get into it here we go another episode of biz dads all right andres i don't know about you but uh you chiefs you look pretty good my browns i think had one of the best drafts with no real names that anybody cared about but i'm excited about how they're going to play and it was an incredible production. How do you think your Chiefs did? Yeah, I mean, I was watching it live with a bunch of buddies from Kansas City and around the country, and we were sort of like thinking they were going to go running back, and they did go running back. I was, you know, sort of hoping they'd pick up, you know, our guy here in Georgia. But look, I mean, all in all, it was fun to be on FaceTime with a bunch of my buddies or Zoom, I guess. I mean, I just got to give hats off to Roger Goodell. I mean, he pulled it off. There was little glitchy things here and there, but I mean, you know, it just felt normal to just be able to sit and watch was, the draft for three incredible. days. 54 million people, I think, tuned into it. The production quality was amazing I, I compared to what they had to deal with. I just, are giving what they had to deal with, I was so just in awe of how well they had done. I think we mentioned I was curious on how it was going to go off, but they did a fantastic job. I watched mostly on ABC and ESPN, and they did great. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I always tune into at least, you know, four or five hours of the draft every year. Um, as much as anything, just to see the reaction of the families. You know, these kids have been – playing football since they were five, six years old and to be surrounded by, you know, family and aunts and uncles and grandparents. Of course, there's always an agent or two sneaking around, but I thought it was just really neat to to be able to see that emotion. It, it just reminded me that at the end of the day, like we're going to be on the other side of this pandemic at some point and these kids are going to be out there playing football again. And it, it just felt normal. So that's the word that kept coming back to me. Yeah. And, you know, to see the real world, the real lives of some of these decision makers, you know, with their kids in the background sitting there while head coaches and, and GMs, guys that almost seem untouchable from a distance in some instances, have kids who want to be on TV. Had, you know, they're wearing their gear. Some of them were, you know, there was a couple funny ones. Uh, I love seeing that. I think that brought them back to the real world. That's going to endear them to the fans even a little more. Uh, that brings the fandom to life. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because Heidi, you know, my wife, she popped into the room. She's like, what are you watching? She's like, how can you watch them like make draft picks. And I was like, check this out. Like, look at these guys' houses, you know? And just when you think like, okay, these guys make millions of dollars as general managers and coaches, like you think they have these like cribs that are ridiculous. And, and then you see some of them are just so Spartan. And then of course there's the one code where he had this like ridiculous view of his place and he caught all kinds of hell from his buddies. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. It was just so different. And I think all the, uh, you know, like you said, all the normalcy of, you know, all these parents at the end of the day, a lot of them, you know, having their kids at home in their pajamas and kind of hanging around the computer, it just made it feel normal. It made it feel like you could relate to them. You know, they weren't in this like war room at some, you know, headquarters that you never could get inside of. It felt like you could be inside of the, the room, you know, a little bit, which I thought was neat. Yeah, the great meme I saw was comparing... Belichick's setup to Kingsbury's setup. Belichick was sitting at a table that was like from my grandparents' house in the 80s dining room <laughs> table. And then uh, you've got your boy Andy Reid wearing his Tommy Bahama, you know, 
Um, and then you see Kingsbury, and he's got this palatial estate that's got the fire pit in the back and the right. out. I mean, it was like, man, this. The, the meme was talking about how many Super Bowls Belichick had won and how many games compared to how many games Kingsbury won. <laughs> uh, it's great. Yeah, I love no. that kind of stuff. Oh, I mean, that's again, cool. that's what made the production yeah. quality so fantastic for me is it put yeah. it inside. Um, it did. No, hats off to the NFL and, and uh, you know, ESPN and ABC. I thought it was it was good TV, and Trey Wingo did a good job in the studio and, you know, Bristol because, I mean, there was a lot of little stuff moving around and, you know, there was just so many great little storylines. You you, uh, you you watch the NFL draft if you're a hardcore sports fan or an NFL fan because, you know, there's so many stories about these guys and maybe they've lost a parent or, you know, they lost yeah. a sibling and they've overcome so much. And to have, you know, that to, for them to still have that moment when you look around and around the country and kids are losing their graduation ceremonies and, you know, losing baptisms and first communions and all this kind of stuff. It's uh, it's it was kind of again, it was cool to see some stuff that, you know, you're just used to if you're a sports fan kind of come back and and happen. Well, you know, my my mentality is that the world should be run by offensive linemen. So there was a couple things uh, <laughs> that I loved. If you saw the, the offensive lineman from Heidi's alma mater of Iowa. Um, yeah. Walked his he created the red carpet for his mom outside of his house. Yep. And then um, the, the the old offensive uh, line coach at Georgia, who now I think is at Arkansas, calling his two le- his two tackles, who were both drafted in the first round, and the video of him calling them live uh, right after they had gotten drafted, it was so incredible and talked about how – talk about the relationship between a coach and a player. And I've had the chance to, to have that incredible experience and reconnect with my coach a couple weeks ago. It's pretty special to watch that kind of stuff, man, and – I don't know. I just feel sometimes like the offensive linemen are, you know, that's the that's the grit, baby. It is, man, and trenches. I mean, come on, let's let's, let's not be too humble here. I mean, you hey, were an offensive we'll lineman, that story, but that's where the name came from, man. Totally. I, well, our listeners are definitely going to want to hear it. I'm going to interview you one day. So, no, it was good stuff. It was fun TV, fun drama. Hands in the trenches. Producer twists all up in the trenches. <laughs> um, so I only got to watch episode three because as this is the, the second part of our podcast name talks about is that we're dads and I didn't get a chance to watch the fourth. I got the third in, but the Jordan documentary, well, I'll call it the last dance, I guess, cause it's about all of them, but man, what a great third episode too. Oh man. It just, I don't know. Just for me again, I, I said this last week, I just, I'm biased because I grew up, you know, during this era of the NBA and, and a huge Jordan fan. I had the wings poster, you know, up in my room, you know, of him in the black and white, you know, most people probably have seen that image, but yeah, I mean, episode three, like it, it got into, uh, to Rodman and it got into the battles with, uh, the bad boys, the Pistons. And, um, I'm just, you know, like I said, I'm, i I've really enjoyed it. It's been fun for Heidi and I on a Sunday night to get the kids down and just watch a couple of hours. And it takes me right back to when I played hoops and what it was like seeing these guys and then being able to see it behind the scenes. It's been awesome. Yeah, it was cool to see. You know, this one was about the worm, Dennis Rodman, kind of one of the probably one of the most polarizing athletes ever, if you think about it. And to have some yeah. of these guys come out and say he's the greatest man up defender that they've ever seen. He probably doesn't get that recognition because he's overshadowed with everything else. But also to sit there and to see him interviewed, this soft-spoken guy for the most part who's still got all these piercings and all this 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 flair around him, it uh, it humanized him for me anyway a little bit. Yeah, but before we get into Rodman, I want to talk about the shot. I mean, come on, you're a Cleveland guy. Let's talk Let's about, talk about, about that. I mean, I turned I turned on the the uh, show just as. The uh, the two teams were in timeout. The Cavs were trying to decide who's going to guard Jordan. 
and everybody knew Jordan was going to take the last shot. So walk me through that. I mean, where were you? What did you think of when that happened? And what do you think of when you see that replay? Look, man, I got a real dark spot in Cleveland sports in my life in the 80s um, because of the fumble, the drive. You know, the only World Series the Braves ever won in that 14-year division run was against the Indians in 95. And I'm just telling you, man, I, I, I don't really want to talk about it. It kind of hurts. But I, feel I really wish they would have put Ron Harper on him now that I've seen the documentary. <laughs> Because uh, basically they all just kind of laughed at Elo. Even Jordan was like, Ron Harper defended me better. And, you know, nothing against Elo. I mean, he's a hell of a ball player. And that team was fantastic. That was the, the Greg Elo, Mark Price, Brad Doherty, you know, Ron Harper. That was a great team. Um, yeah. But to see him make that shot, I mean, you can't see a Jordan highlight reel without that shot in it. Because that was the statement, really, for him. I mean, that was probably right. the moment he took over and became what we all know him as today. Yeah, no doubt. I mean... I thought it was it was uh, so true what what they talked about in the episodes beating the Pistons finally in the Eastern Conference Finals overcoming kind of that that team that was your rival almost probably meant more to the Bulls and to Jordan than some of those championships that they won so yeah I mean Rodman such a such a polarizing guy I mean I remember the girlfriends that he had I mean I just imagine what that would be like today right how much more media scrutiny would be on that today but I mean even at a time like he dated what Madonna he dated Carmen Electra I mean I guess it's maybe more normal for celebrities uh to date one another but it felt like back in the day like that just that just didn't happen as much I'll think about how quick TMZ would have gotten stuff on Instagram and Twitter and the the TikTok videos that the worm would have made could you imagine that think about just <laughs> Dennis yeah, Rodman completely. with TikTok can you imagine like your boys trying to understand why does that guy have like bumblebee hair or pink hair or green hair? It was a different. He was definitely way ahead of his time, I guess. We have to explain to our kids. I'm glad that's not. <laughs> <about there. laughs> but no, like episode three ends with the Vegas trip, right? So, the, you know what Rodman's basically gone to Phil Jackson, who's the only coach probably in the NBA that understands him, and you know this. Episode also talked about Phil and I mean just an amazing kind of Zen master and well, the how they bought it too. They got they got yeah. Collins in there, right? Yeah. Did you know that Phil Jackson's got 13 titles between coaching and playing? I know that's crazy. It's amazing. 20 seasons as a coach in the NBA, never a losing season. The next closest, Casey Jones with 10. That was a good stat that they showed. But he saved his losing up when he got to the Knicks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but. uh no, episode three was uh, it was good stuff. I mean, uh, we'll break down episode four in a future show, but uh, yeah, I think episode three basically ends the cliffhanger is Rodman says I need some time away. He you know he tells Jordan or basically goes to Phil Jackson and says I I just need some time, and you know Phil goes to Michael and says Hey, you know it's forty eight hours, and Michael's like Yeah, right, forty eight hours. Episode three ends with the cliffhanger of you know Rodman drinking a Miller Light and cruising down the strip on his motorcycle. So you know, more to come. Favorite. My favorite part of that episode, though, was kind of towards the front end when Pippen's out. Jordan's got nobody to cover him. They're looking for Robin. He hasn't stepped up yet. He gets kicked out of a game, and Jordan kind of goes off on him. Knows he's, you know, Robin knows he's done something wrong. Jordan's sitting there saying, you know, I hear this knock on my hotel door that night. Robin comes in. He never came to my room, and he just says, you got any cigars? And they both, you know, sitting in different rooms in this documentary are both saying, you know, Jordan knew that was my way of apologizing. And Jordan saying, you know, D Dennis never said, I'm sorry, but I knew that's what he was there for. And it's that unspoken bond between teammates. That's yeah. what, again, man, that's what sports, that's why sports are so important. And you think about 
the kids like we had a, we had Ben and Andrew at the bike park kind of just cruising around with social distancing it's like getting them to burn some energy and a couple of uh, the baseball teammates were there and just these kids can you know they can just interact in their own way and they're creating that bond that will probably last a lifetime I mean Jordan and and Rodman had that you know after a few years and again those are those are incredible incredible bonds yeah anyway, no doubt about it absolutely pretty interesting so changing the subject a little bit a little lightheartedness i um we talk about the biz side of, of what we're doing and you know we work in advertising at trenches working a lot in marketing and i don't know if i'm creating a monster or he's just watching too much tv but a couple funny things this week we were cruising down the road trying to get out a little bit and um had gone up to see this new house that my my in-laws are are finishing in woodstock we're coming back down and i hear ben start going oh 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 o'reilly's and he's singing the chime from an o'reilly's ad and i'm like <laughs> that's kind of weird maybe he's watching too much tv and then he gets um he gets home th- that night and he and his brother are playing around andrews uh got this idea they want to make their own uh, soda pop um so they pull all the uh, seltzer waters out and start mixing them up and create a a soda called nuclear puppies so they get these uh, seltzer waters out, and they start making this soft drink, this soda pop, whatever. And Ben's like, "We got to come up with a name, and it's got to be something that's not already trademarked." You know, Andrew's running around trying to follow something, figure out something, and they ended up calling it Nuclear Puppies. So Ben's like, "Yeah, yeah, Dad, we need to trademark Nuclear Puppies. Can you get us on the <laughs> trademark?" And I'm like, "How the hell does he know about trademarks?" And Margaret and I are both in this business, and we've talked about it a lot, and we try to you know, just have very direct conversation with him when he asks certain things. And we've had conversations yeah. about what a trademark is or why certain things are called certain things, but it's amazing how much it's stuck. So now he wants to trademark nuclear puppies and make a, uh, a soft drink out of it. So for our first biz dad product, nuclear puppy soft drink, we'll have Frankie, Francesca, your daughter, you know, as our first uh, spokesperson for nuclear totally. puppy, puppy soft drink. No, but you're right. Like, uh, Renzo, my middle one, and Frankie, my older one, um, one thing I've noticed during the shutdown is that the two of them have gotten really, really creative because, you know, they're not outside as much. And once kind of school ends midday, I'll hear the two of them, you know, going up and down all over the house, creating these games, creating all this make-believe. Um, and one thing I guess that's been really neat about all of that is that the two of them, I think, are bonding um, a lot more than, uh, you know, than they otherwise would because they'd be in activities and they'd be kind of running in their own little circles. So it's been neat to see. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it's, it's just funny to see these kids' brains work. And I'm seeing it more now at home than I ever did before. And that's, I think, really a blessing in disguise with this whole thing is you get to see the creative nature of the kids. It's been fun. Yeah, we've got this little creek behind our house. The kids have been going down there and doing, you know, their little science experiments. They'll take their beakers and they'll, they'll go collect water samples and they'll bring them back and look at them under the microscope. And I mean, I remember with my brother, like growing up and I mean, we would go seining this creek and just catch like hundreds and hundreds of like crawdads and come back with leeches and all sorts of gross stuff. You know, you just kind of wonder, like, are kids going to get to do that stuff? And we discovered this creek behind our house like a year ago. And during this spring, with the exception of just a couple of days a week, like they're down there in that creek with, you know, Heidi or I or both of us. And we always bump into people in the community. It's been fun. Yeah, that bike park is fantastic. We had back in the neighborhood we grew up in, we had created like a BMX track around the construction sites because the, all the houses weren't finished yet. 
but the fact that they had the foresight in this community to build something like that with these trails, I actually went back on the trails with the boys the other day with the mountain bike. Now, I will tell you a funny story about this mountain bike, uh, DJ. I, I went and traded my road bike in for a mountain bike. They're in social distance, like the bike shop is in social distancing, so nobody's going in unless you're making a purchase. Everybody's staying at the right distance. This guy brings a bike out to me after we talk about it a little bit. We go inside, and I'm the only person inside paying for this bike. He looks at me and he goes, is that your kid up there on the hill? And I look out there and I was like, yeah. And he goes, yeah, he just peed on the hill. Andrew <laughs> got out of the car and walked around. Obviously, he, I, I was taking too long, I guess. And uh, he just took it upon himself to go up there and uh, take care of business. So that's, oh, that's, man. How, we, that's how we transition here. At yeah. Anyway. Well, I was going to say, I mean, hey, it happens. That's all I can say is it happens. <laughs> that's, that's why God made boys, as they say. Um, speaking of boys, something that's big for both of us in raising boys and daughters, um, parents in general, is the impact that leadership has had on us, the way we lead our business, how coaches, fathers, mothers, mentors have all made a role in there, you know, in our lives. So leadership is something we haven't talked a lot about, and I think it's it's a good topic for us because we need leadership in our country, we need leadership in our communities. We need leaderships in our families and our businesses. It's more important now than ever. And I know you've been reading a lot about it too. Yeah, I mean, it's a topic I thought it would be good to talk about and, you know, try to keep it light, uh, but also relevant. You know, obviously, as, as, as our listeners know, I mean, we're both, we're both husbands, we're both fathers, we're both very involved in our schools, we're really involved in our kids with, with activities and sports. It doesn't make us better, just the choices that we've made. And I can't help but think like, you know, during this last six, seven, eight weeks, how many examples have come back to me about the kind of leaders that I was fortunate enough to be around, you know, growing up and that uh, coach teams that I was a part of or, you know, led departments that I worked in. And so I thought it'd be fun to talk a little bit about some of those examples tonight and, uh, you know, share some stories maybe later on about our dads and some of the experiences uh, that we had growing up. But in terms of leadership, Brad, I mean, for me, what has jumped out so much in this period of time, this pandemic, has been the leaders who show decisiveness, the leaders who show consistency, the leaders that are transparent. Those three things kind of came to mind when I was thinking, what are the characteristics of both parenting and being a leader that really resonate at any particular time, but especially in a time like this, when people are looking for some degree of kind of certainty and, and clarity about what the future holds, which a lot of times we don't have the answers. But isn't it so interesting when you hear maybe a leader on TV or, or somebody kind of in the so-called role of expert, whether it was a coach that you had, sometimes when they show humility and sometimes when they show empathy and sometimes when they show through their communication style that they don't have all the answers, that they somehow become more relatable. No doubt. I think the, the impression that you get from a leader is how they how they provide that information or deliver that information. Twist and I talk about it all the time. Twist, what is the number one thing I talk about as it, as it relates to how we're going to be successful sellers in our business? What's the what's the one thing we have to always work on? Delivery is key. Delivery is key. I put her on the spot <laughs> and she wins. Twist for two. Delivery, man. I mean, you can say something so many different ways and, and, and how you say it, and we'll talk about this in our Parenting 101 segment in just a minute, how you say it is how people are going to decide whether or not 
to trust you, to believe you, to go along with what you're saying. And I think if you break it down in a, a few key things, and this is the one we struggle with more than any in our house, and probably even Dan would tell you at work, is consistency. The consistency yeah. in which you deliver that message, the consistency in which you deliver that punishment, the way that you're talking to your team, to your employees, your, your whatever, your kids, consistency is a big one. I mean, I think it's necessary. Yeah, no, you're right. And uh, so just walk you through my typical day. So I'll usually like have breakfast with Heidi and the kids in the morning. Um, and then I just head upstairs and I'm in my office. And, you know, my job basically is a sales job. So I'm on the phone calling perspective of investors, our current investors. And it's just like over and over all day long. I was telling Brad um, Twist earlier today uh, when we were talking about the show that I think I had like 134 calls that I had to get in. And I just was like super dialed in. And it was just like voicemail after voicemail after voicemail. And then every once in a while, like you get a prospective investor on the phone. But like you have to be ready to make the delivery when you do get that one prospective investor on the phone and you want to be consistent. Um, my boss is fond of saying it's not often what we say, it's how we say it. It's such a good piece of advice, Brad, around delivery and what you say is not as important as how you say it. Um, that, that sort of nonverbal communication. We have, we have probably recognized this more than anything as a couple, Margaret Ann and I. And, and Margaret Ann is, I call her super mom. She's just phenomenal. But, you know, we both, when you get worked up, man, it's hard. And, and I think a good team has to be able to look at the other and say, you're at an eight, bring it down in order to deliver that message for the kid. Because, and I think it's the same thing in, in, in business. But to your point, if you go in and you are just amplifying the noise level and the intensity of the situation, there's no bringing it down. The kids yeah. don't understand. They want to go higher and louder. So Margaret Ann and I have done, a, I think, a good job of trying to let the other one know when we're at that, at that high level and try to decompress the situation yeah. a little bit. Um, de-escalate and, a little bit. Yeah, they <laughs> definitely de-escalate it. And, you know, I, this is something that Ann will, will always do, I think, in our, our line of work, too, is, you know, the more you work with somebody – the more you realize those types of things are so vital because it becomes your work environment becomes just like a family. You've got to make sure that you can compartmentalize the emotion that is impacting you somewhere else and handle the situ the current situation that you're in differently. Right. Yeah. I think compartmental yeah. compartmentalization in my opinion is not a great asset unless used for good, if that makes sense. I mean, think, I think some people do compartment, some people compartmentalize and they get trapped in that. They can never break walls down between certain things, but if you can go in and come out, it's a great tool, you know, and I think yeah. for parenting and for, for, for running a business. The other one that I think is so vital now, especially, and this is, you know, I've talked about this, this is not a political show, but this is something that's talked about quite a bit in politics and communication in politics, but is is just as important in work and life parenting and, and marriage is transparency. Yeah. It's big. You know, it's big. Honesty, yeah. That's how you build trust. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever taken the Enneagram, but, but Heidi has 
you know, she spent a lot of time studying the Enneagram and she's like, you know, six months ago, she's like, Andres, you got to take this. I want, I, I think I know what type you are and I just want, yeah, I, do, I want you to take this test. So any of you guys out there that have not taken an Enneagram test, I encourage you to get out there and take it. And if you have a, a partner, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, uh, somebody at work, you know, you feel like you can trust that you have to communicate with on a regular basis. Like I'm a, I'm a convert, I should say. So one of the things that came out of that was that I am an eight. We'll go into the Enneagram later, Brad. If you haven't take it, taken it, that's something that we'll, we'll, uh, we'll get into in a future segment. But I came out as an eight, and an eight is somebody that has a sense of justice. And so to your point about transparency, that's probably been one of the biggest things that I've noticed over the last seven, eight weeks. Um, and I read this great article in, in the paper by Thomas Friedman who said, you know, leaders— either grow or he's interviewing somebody and the, the, the person who's interviewing said, you know, leaders either grow or swell. And man, I've seen that so much play out over the, na- over the last couple of months. So yeah, maybe a future segment we'll do is on, uh, on the Enneagram and uh, compare and contrast because I totally agree. I think this notion of leadership and how, you know, we as, as dads and as leaders in our communities and, and leaders in our businesses, you have to kind of stick to a set of core values. And I don't think those can change depending on the situation you find yourself in. I think it's critical that you as a family or in a business, you kind of identify what those core principles are, those core values and how you're going to run things, how you're going to operate, how you're going to, you know, the kinds of things you're going to do uh, as a family. And you, you sort of don't let the swirl and the craziness going on around you change that. You stick to kind of those, those things and, uh, and you move forward. Yeah, I have not taken the Enneagram. I, I, I've taken a lot of those different personality quizzes or, or tests, I'll call them. Um, yep. And it is interesting. And, and, and we need to probably do this in our business as well. But you can learn a lot. Look, I'm, I, for right or wrong, I'm old school. Right, I, I guess is comes from my upbringing, but you know, I think people can work with people if they're empathetic and understanding, and unselfish. And sometimes those things go a little far for me personally because it it makes it t- too exact on how you're supposed to deal with people. Where I think you have to be somewhat flexible and nimble in yeah. how you manage people, how you work with people, how you manage relationships, how you parent, and. Again, right, wrong, or indifferent, the, the point of it is it's good to know as long as you don't take it to the extreme. I'm a big believer in balance. And I think yeah. balance in communication and balance in leadership is so important because if you're too far one way one day and then too far the other way the next, it's confusing. And that takes me to the last kind of the key thing for me as it relates to what I look for in a leader and how we try to lead and parent is decisiveness. Like, how decisive are you? How quickly can you you know, be direct with you know what you're punishing, what you're instructing, you know where you're at at that point for that relevant conversation? Yeah, no, that's one thing I definitely struggle with with my boys, especially is is kind of having the follow through. You know, we'll, we'll sit down for dinner. We've prepared this you know meal. Heidi's cooked. I've cooked or whatever. And we've, we've got everybody, we say a prayer, we get ready to start eating. And then like 30 seconds later, Brad, like the two boys are gone and they're just like, we're done, we're out, you know, we're right. back to doing whatever. And I'm like, it's in that very moment where I feel like as a parent and as like a dad, like I struggle a little bit with, you know, what do you do? Do you like go get them, redirect and fight that fight and struggle through that and be decisive like yeah. in that very moment? Or do you just say, you know what? 
there's three of us or four of us that are still eating and focused and we're going to let that one kind of get off and do his thing. It's it, But to your point, like you, in that very moment, you have to kind of be decisive about how you're going to roll. And I mean, it's easy to sit here and say like, well, when we were growing up, but I mean, things are different, right? I mean, that's, that's just some stuff going on in the trenches at my house. Well, you have to be able to parent each kid differently. You have to be able to manage each employee differently. But again, I think that takes us back to the first one of consistency. Because yeah. if, you, if you're like me, and Margaret and I talk about this all the time, particularly with Andrew, our youngest, if we're not consistent, he will find the, the holes in, <laughs> that, you know, in, in our delivery. Um, yeah. And for us, I would say that the hardest part of my day is dinner time, getting him to sit and focus on dinner and not going every other bite to hug the dog or to mm-hmm. grab a toy or to do whatever. And it, it drives me nuts and it probably shouldn't, but it does drive me nuts. So we've been working on this focus thing and him telling his brain what time it is and what he needs to do in that moment. Right. So when it is time to go to bed, which is another hard part because he his, he's constantly working and his brain's constantly moving so he's always wants to be doing something. So bedtime is hard. Can you tell your brain to focus? And I think this is, again, back to that level of, of leadership is how are you handling the individual differently than you handle? I don't have to deal with that with Ben. Ben lasers yeah. in and he's good to go. And again, I think what makes Andrew so great is that these attributes will allow him to be a phenomenal adult. But the tactic that we're using is to try to get him to focus and tell his brain that now is dinner time and this is what I need to do. And I won't be yelled at. I won't get in trouble if I spend this 15 minutes at the dinner table eating and then I can go do whatever else I want to do because I can tell my brain it's now time to have fun. So it's the time and place conversation. Yeah, it's working. It's working a little bit. I can tell based on our bike ride and some other things we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, our bike rides. But yeah, man, it's it's crazy. But it all dials back to i think those three things of leadership is consistency transparency and decisiveness if you can find a leader who gives you those three things again i even if they're just trying to do it you can work with them and they can work with you and that makes a good team yeah no totally agree i mean we've got countless things that we could talk about around this subject so we'll uh, we'll have to table it for tonight but uh I thought that we would also maybe give a preview of uh, maybe one of the guests. So one of the guests that we're going to have on a uh, a future show. So Brad, why don't you tell us uh, about who you have teed up? Yeah, I think we, we you know, Andres and I've talked a lot about it. We thought it would be fun to have a guest come a couple of times a month to be a part of the show. And believe it or not, this is somebody neither of us know tremendously well. He is a neighbor of mine, Tim Spiker, who is actually an author and a, a speaker on leadership. Uh, he's got a college athletic background, father and family who's very much into coaching and um, owns a company called The Aperio, which has a really cool, uh, really cool meaning as well. So Tim will join us next week. We'll talk a little bit more about leadership and really what gets into you know, coaching and how that all translates to business, especially since we've all been, been athletes. Because you know, I don't think we've talked about this either, but producer Twist, pretty good athlete. She's a... Uh, a She's a tennis ringer, DJ. I don't know if you know that. Well, I uh, I don't. So I'm looking forward to hearing the details because tennis is huge in Atlanta. It's one of the biggest cities in the country for tennis. So so twist. Tell me more uh, on a future segment. 
I definitely dabbled. I don't know if anymore. You better come, if you wanted to join your Alta team though, or your USDA team. You better come strong because she ain't playing no uh, patty cake. All right, let's get into one of our fun segments. This is uh, this is our fun segment of the week. Our parenting one hundred and one. So, Andres, we've talked a little bit about our parenting fails. We've had a parenting one hundred and one in the past, and since we've been talking so much about communication and leadership, I thought I'd give you our parenting one hundred and one fact and a funny little story to go along with it. We, we told the story about the bike. So I got this mountain bike. I had to get it home. So in order to get it home in the Yukon, I had to put one of the seats down. And wouldn't you know it, that created the biggest ordeal of who got to sit in the middle for the mile ride home to the house. So Ben's older. We put him in the middle. Andrew wasn't happy about it and starts to get throw a fit. And Margaret Ann, this goes to delivery, Margaret Ann looks at Andrew and says, Andrew, don't worry about sitting in the middle because if we get into an accident, Ben will die first. (laughs) I look at her and I was like, babe. Well, she goes, I I don't know why I said that. I know, Ben. I know. I know what's coming. I know what's coming. (laughs) So you turn around and Ben's like white as a sheet, freaked out, starts crying. And we're like, buddy, we were just, we don't don't mean it. We're going to protect you. We're here for you. But I mean, you would talk about a parenting fail and a parenting 101 in the same segment. Here oh, you go. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. the delivery was to try to diffuse the situation of Andrew not freaking out, but forgetting yeah. that our words were so impactful to Ben as well sitting there. And she didn't mean anything by it. She didn't, you know, we're not going to get into an accident. We were being very safe, but man, the heat of the moment, those words come out and I can't tell you how many times I have had that exact same situation. And I guarantee everybody listening has too. Yeah, no, there's been a couple of times I've said stuff probably in the heat of the moment. I've kind of snapped and I just think about one of them where I, I sent, you know, Frankie, our daughter literally up to her room crying. And I was just like thinking to myself, why did I just say that? You know, but it, it just happens. And we're human, right? So you apologize, you go up, you ask for forgiveness, and God bless our kids. I mean, that's one thing about them is unlike adults, right? Kids are generally pretty cool and understanding, and they're forgiving, and oh, yeah. they can put a smile on their face. And, uh, man, we can learn a lot from them, I still think. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't I – don't, I'm, I'm not going to spend this uh, podcast throwing my wife under the bus too many times, and I know it was totally unintentional, but it, it is so important and so hard – for us as you 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 know what needs to be said and you never intend for it to to be painful or to 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 hurt but you just you have to be so careful with how you deliver um yeah your punishment your instructions to your kids and i think you know the parenting 101 tip is think before you go into <laughs> these moments as hard as it is take all those things we talked about the compartmentalization and where your feelings are where theirs are What's the, you know, the clarity of the conversation? How are you going to deliver in a decisive way? And what do I need to say? And can you do that in the blink of an eye so that you can actually right. get your kid to shut up and calm down and, yeah. and understand awesome. that this is not a big deal? Because it doesn't matter where you're sitting. We'll be home in a minute and it'll all be over. Yeah, totally. It's good, it's good advice. That's your parenting 101. All right, Andres. Um, four years ago, I entered into entrepreneurship. And if you were to ask me four years and three months ago, I probably would have said, nah, I don't really have that itch. I had never thought I would be an entrepreneur. And it's funny because I never really had the itch to own my own business. I've never really, uh, and you know, I've talked about this. It's funny. You probably have the, the bigger itch in this space than, than I do. 
but I talked with some mentors, some key people in my life, and they pushed me into this realm of entrepreneurship. And it is uh, something that I'm so very glad that I did. People ask me all the time, would you ever go back? And the answer is usually no. Um, there'd have to be some ridiculous opportunity. And I'm actually getting into uh, working to get into this organization, Entrepreneurs Organization, which is a global organization to help entrepreneurs. And it's been very helpful thus far. But you've dabbled into this a little bit too, had, had your own business. I think it's yeah, time I mean, for us I, to share a little bit of insight on why we did it. Yeah. So, you know, my career brought us to Atlanta in 2006. Um, I started out as a banker and did that for about four or five years. And then after the financial crisis, I lost my job. I was, you know, really kind of thinking, what did I want to do? I was, I don't know, probably about 30 years old, maybe a little, little less. Heidi and I didn't have any kids. You know, we've been dating very seriously. I attended a conference and and uh, met somebody at this conference. We started, you know, grabbing coffee and discussing business ideas. And then this company, Endurance Strategies, was born. And effectively, like you, Brad, I just took the plunge and probably for a good four years, you know, different business than Trenches, but a lot of it was consulting and advising and spending a lot of time presenting and doing proposals. And it got me into the field that I'm in now, which is which is alternative investments. After four, four and a half years, um, you know, Heidi looked at me and over the course of, you know, probably the last year, year and a half, she's like, babe, why don't you, you know, reach out to some of your clients and see about going in house. And we had uh, we had just had Renzo, our second an opportunity presented itself. Um, I took it and that's what actually led us uh, to down to Austin, Texas. We went down to Austin and then from there we bounced up to, uh, to Kansas City. And, uh, and then from Kansas City, we bounced back to Atlanta. But yeah, I mean, I have <clears throat> super, super strong relationships from that time when I was an entrepreneur. And I definitely feed that, uh, that itch through different things like, you know, doing this podcast, you know, doing some blogging. Um, I do a lot of kind of one-off, uh, just ad hoc consulting. I think it's just really fun keeping your finger on the pulse of what's kind of going out there in your field, whatever that field may be. I'm always getting calls from, you know, folks that are trying to start up a new investment firm or start up a new investment fund. And yeah, definitely, you know, every time I talk to them, whether it's on a weekend or at night after work, work, I always, you know, find myself saying, you know, gosh, I give these guys advice. Maybe, you know, maybe there's something in there that I need to be doing for myself. But uh, that's for another time and another place. But yeah, tell me more about your entrepreneurial like walk and kind of some of the businesses that you thought you'd be in that you're not in and some of the things that Trenches is doing uh, now that weren't even on the drawing board. Because I, I know for me, going back and thinking about the stuff I thought I'd be doing and the stuff I ended up doing, kind of evolved over time. Absolutely. And that is that the ability to pivot is probably one of the biggest traits you need. I think that and grit. The Like I said, I never thought, never once really thought I would uh, start my own shop, start my own business. Um, I had the opportunity to work for some amazing people on some amazing teams and projects and thought that would always be my path. When I started talking to people about it, I quickly realized that people were sharing their opinions of me and that was something that I could do. And I probably didn't have the faith in myself that that they did. You know, and, and anybody I would tell, I would tell anybody that is looking to do this, whether you're young, old, in the middle of your career, the end, whatever, talk to a lot of people because that was for me the validation and then, of course, my number one supporter, who I jokingly call the CFO of Trenches, my wife, said to me, and it was kind of the linchpin of you know, my decision was, you can do this, and if 
you don't do it or aren't successful, there will be people there who will hire you because you've got a good reputation and, and, and you're good at what you do. And for me, you know, I get emotional even thinking about it because it was such a pivotal moment for what Trenches became. And then I sat down with a very close friend of mine and I started to craft up what Trenches would be. And the name Trenches we talked about kind of coming from my offensive line mentality of life and, and getting in the mud and the muck for our clients, letting them be the superstar quarterback. That's kind of the, the, the genesis of Trenches. Well, we got into it and I said, all right, I'm going to, you know, I built the College Football Hall of Fame with, with an amazing team. And I was like, I could help other places do those types of projects that, to raise the kind of funds we raise the hall. And I quickly realized that that business is incredible, but not where we were going to fully focus. And my past experience really took over. And we, we've evolved three different times into what we are today in working with naming rights in particularly the college athletic space or major venues. And then your premier partnership and what I would call unique assets that range from jersey sleeve patches to you know unique sports and entertainment properties. Being able to pivot and evolve, I think, was what got us to this point. We just celebrated four years, April 1st. And we've got a great team with people like Ann who is, is helping it grow. And, I, and the hardest part, Andres, was that first year and a half, probably almost two years before I had anybody on the team, that the, the difficulty of working with yourself is not something somebody can ever explain to you. Can't yeah. your the the mirror never argues back with your ideas. The mirror never says great job enough or stupid idea enough. You need a team. And yeah. that's what makes I think entrepreneurship very very difficult. It's the most gratifying thing I've ever done and the most difficult thing I've ever done in in the same in the same emotion, you know, in the same job. Yeah, no, I mean, I started my company, Endurance Strategies. It was 2010, and it actually started out as a partnership. It was a 50-50 partnership between me and another individual, and uh, and I was I was glad for that because it was in an area of finance that I hadn't spent a lot of time on. I had been an investment banker and a capital markets banker for two big banks prior to starting the firm, and so I felt like I had good corporate finance training and a securities background, but not the relationships and, and the, uh, the, the reach that I needed. And so I thought having a partner was really going to be helpful. And then probably, I don't know, four months in or so, um, my partner did kind of go in another direction and she took a, a role with the family office. Uh, and I just kind of said, look, I'm going to continue and I'm going to keep going. I named my business, uh, with her endurance strategies because at the time I was doing a ton of running and, endurance sports. And I give my uh, brother credit for that because he was actually the first one in our family that did a full marathon, but he inspired me to kind of take up running and, uh, and, and distance running at that. And, uh, we had some great experiences even with my sister too. We did some, some awesome long distance runs, but that was the genesis of my business. So like you, it was very personal and is very personal. And I still have that, that LLC to this day. But the point of the story was that the experience of starting that business and it not being as successful as I wanted to probably, if anything, has only sort of fed the fire to do something uh, entrepreneurship, you know, maybe something in the cards down the road. We'll see. I think once you get into it, you're always looking for the next thing. The biggest thing you've got to have and the, the biggest thing you've got to be able to do is hustle. Something you can't teach is that uh, is the grit. Right. I think the best entrepreneurs I've ever met 
have that grit. A good a mentor of mine is a guy by the name of Rick Jones, who you'll hear and talk about it later. But Rick says grit plus grind equals greatness. And I, I just, that sinks in with me so much. And it was that word that he said to me as one of those people that I talked with in the beginning of this journey for me that stuck and said, look, yo, you know, you've got the opportunity to be successful because of the way that you're going to approach this. And it's scary as hell. This is a scarier, scarier time than I could ever imagine being in, um, four years in and celebrating the four year anniversary in quarantine. But I'm also excited about this time and what it's giving us the opportunity to do, to strategize and to plan and to, to be prepared for the future. And I have no idea what the future holds, but I, I would never in a million years imagine going back to work in some of the environments that I've worked in all great for the most part, but, but man, I get, I get to, to carve the path. I get to decide a quote that we have in our office and I'm going to butcher it without reading it directly, but you know, it's a, a Ralph Waldo Emerson quote that basically says, you know, to to carve a path and to yeah. lead to lead as, as opposed to follow. And that's something we're going to try to do um, every day. And I think you have to do if you're planning on being an entrepreneur, start your own business, man, you better buckle up. Yeah. And I don't think it. Yeah. And I don't think that uh, I mean, I, I, I always look at Silicon Valley for, for this, because I think a lot of times, you know, people look at a business that doesn't take off and turn into next, you know, the next public companies. They look at it as a failure when oftentimes, you know, some of the most successful entrepreneurs started, you know, multiple ventures. And it's through kind of getting back up on your feet and being willing to kind of dive right back into the fold is, I mean, one of the hallmarks. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you can't teach people to be, you can't teach people to have drive. You can't teach them how to have grit. I don't think you can train somebody to be kind of competitive and, and have like a positive outlook on life. I mean, I think that there are things that you can teach people. You can teach them how to, you know, become better at selling or relationship management or things like that. They're going to matter when you're starting a business. But at the end of the day, it's those kind of core innate skills, like the, the, the grit and the grind uh, that, that are going to differentiate you. Yeah. And I, I really want to talk to you more about this in a later date because it's where our worlds collide. You know, there's a big difference in, in what people call entrepreneurship. You know, it's easy to spend other people's money, right? Huh. If you raise money sure. and you're starting a business and that's your approach to entrepreneurship as opposed, as opposed to bootstrapping it or doing it with, with minimal funds. That's a topic for another day. Definitely something we can dig into because, you know, it's again, it goes to the type of person that's going to run the business, the type of leader that you want to be, and how are you going to respect the people that you're working with, the money that's invested in you, or the partners that have come to support you, etc. I've been very fortunate in the people that have been around me, and that's what made that's what has made Trenches successful to this point, and I'm sure it's what's going to continue to help us be successful. Yeah, no, picking up on your point, and then we'll move on to our, our final four. The, the the concept you just described in my world is the difference between somebody who's a true fiduciary and somebody who is, you know, is an imitator. I mean, a fiduciary we'll get into in a future segment is something that gets tossed around a lot in our business, in the investment business. And I've been around long enough, not not as long as others, but I've been around long enough to see the difference behavior the difference in behaviors when somebody calls themselves a fiduciary and then when somebody demonstrates their fiduciary duties and kind of takes them to heart so something that we can get into in another show look forward to that well you said it let's get into this week's final four you know what i love about this week's final four is that it ties it all together everybody has to have great leaders in their lives 
everybody has to uh, to have somebody who pushes them along the way that coaches them up and somebody that influences them. So today's final four are top four most influential business people in our lives. And there's three of us. So let's start with one that's important to, I think, all three of us, I'm pretty sure. But for me, and I know you've talked about it already, the most influential person in my life in many different ways has been my dad. My dad was a businessman, has been a successful businessman, run companies his whole life, worked in an industry that never could see myself in, had an opportunity, created a reputation for himself and his name that would have allowed me to do great things. My brother has been very successful in that industry as well. But um, I remember the little things, man. Like my first steak dinner at Bones, famous steak restaurant here in Atlanta, was as like a 14, 15-year-old kid. He took me to a work dinner to teach me how business dinners operate. He said, look, you're going to learn things that you should do and things you shouldn't do at this dinner. He told me stories about the people we were meeting with and, and told me how he was going to manage the dinner and what his plan was for that. He had me practice things like my signature so that I looked professional when you know, you're know you in a business environment and, and was always very much um, driving me to, to work on how I, how I wrote and spoke. So my dad, you'll hear a million things about him um, and those that have met him love him we, we joke because he looks like john madden so uh don't ever ask him to do that impersonations but he um he's been one of the most if not the most inf influential person in my business career and my athletic career and i'm just blessed to have two amazing parents but that's one for me how about you yeah i mean my dad as well uh so my dad i mean it's it's hard to get you know to talk about your parents because i think it just brings up so many emotions i mean i'm i'm blessed in that both my mom and dad are still living um they're back in the midwest where i was born and raised in a town called newton kansas go railers um but yeah i mean my dad uh man i just have so many memories it's hard to choose but i, I think just some of the things that that have helped me to become the you know the dad and the father uh, and the husband and the brother and the the friend and the you know the business person that I am trying to become, a lot of it comes back down to like the values that I learned from you know my mom and my dad and I think we were fortunate to to have the generosity of just two parents, but to pick on my dad a little bit I mean he. He grew up incredibly poor. He grew up with very difficult circumstances and uh, in just a different era and a different time. The things that he went through and the things that he uh, had to endure as a boy uh, and, and the things that he went through as an adult, you know, really shaped, I think, his character. And some of the things that he gave us and that he passed on to us were he's an incredibly humble and yet extremely generous and caring and warm person. Um, you know, he, he's given me the, the, the pride of being, you know, Mexican American. Um, when he grew up in a time when, when that was, you know, that wasn't something that was celebrated and it was, it was difficult circumstances. I try like hell, you know, each and every day with the way I try to engage with my kids and the way that I try to dedicate myself to, you know, being a better ball coach or being a, you know, somebody that just brings a lot of energy and a lot of enthusiasm, you know, whether it's just riding bikes with my kids out in the cul-de-sac or trying to bring a lot of energy to my friendships. Um, and I give I give a lot of credit to him for that, because all of his friends, all of the people that have known him know that he is he's just rock solid. So hopefully I can live up to that. You're on your way, brother. That's for sure. Twist. 
besides the biz dads? I know you thought I was going to talk about Rick Jones and how influential he has been on me with his book that you gave me, and I've listened to his podcast, and now I'm listening to his YouTube series, but it's the final four, and we have to pick the top most influential business people. Don't cry, Brad, but it has to be you. (laughs) (laughs) Did you hire me as an employee? And teach me everything I need to know about sponsorships, marketing, and business. But you've also mentored me, made me become a better person, and become like my second father. That's so, I, look, I, I appreciate that. Thanks for embarrassing me here. I didn't pay. <laughs> I didn't pay her for that, people. I promise. Um, Surprise. And you are going to remain employed. We're not. We're not going down the crapper just yet with this COVID nineteen <laughs> thing. So you're safe. That's incredible. It's true. I couldn't have asked for a better uh, a better employee. Anne, is everything great? Is about a millennial and everything that you 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 work to try to leverage to your advantage, Andres. So yeah, no, those are kind words, Anne. It's been incredible just getting a chance to work with you and the show. And uh, there's there's definitely bright things ahead for you and your and your future. And I'm glad you and Brad have been able to to work together on things at trenches. It's been awesome to see. On my calendar, and the review is a little bit away, so I don't know if this is all in regard. I will tell you, Andres, I want you to finish it up with yours. The third one for me is a guy by the name of Bill Hodge, Killer B number two, we call him. Bill was a guy who I really consider my first long-term boss and mentor. He was a guy who was very clear and concise and transparent in everything that he did and changed careers, actually, to do some pretty incredible work nowadays. But he was a guy who spent time with me, and he cultivated – my skills. And I hope, and someday I'm going to be able to do the same thing for you that that Bill did for me, because the most influential thing that has ever happened in my professional development was taking the time to actually spend riding around with Bill, visiting the, the universities and college athletic departments that we, we represented at the time. I'll never forget, we sat in his Chevy Avalanche, drove all over the Southeast, and spent a tremendous amount of time sitting on the back patios of Fairfield Inns, just about every Fairfield Inn in the Southeast we probably stayed at at some point. And I asked questions, and he answered every single one of them and always made time. And that was a big part, from a business standpoint, that was a big part of my upbringing. And I've got a bunch of influential coaches and, and people along the way, but but that really sunk in with me and was something that uh, he didn't need to do. He could have just pointed me in a direction and done the work that he hired me to do, but he spent the time to do it. Um, so shout out to Bill. That's great. Um, well, look, I, I feel very, uh, honored and kind of humbled to be able to give the, the last of the final four tonight. So, um, my, uh, you know, one of the people that's had a huge amount of influence on me in the business community in the business world, but also just as a person is Dr. Al H. Ringleb. He's the founder and president of Chimba Italy. So, I know, Brad, you know this, but I don't think I've shared it with our listeners. So I spent three years in Italy uh, from 2001 to 2004. I spent my last year of undergraduate at the University of Kansas living overseas. And then I did my MBA overseas at the Chimba Italy program that Dr. Al Ringleb uh, founded. So Dr. Ringleb is originally from the U.S. He uh, he actually was born and raised in Iowa. He went to Graceland University. Then he got his you know JD at the University of Kansas, uh, Rock Chalk, and then he got a PhD in economics at K State. 
And he um, he was in academia for a while, but then he went to Europe. And when um, when Eastern Europe was was opening up, he actually founded a number of, of new ventures and was a very successful entrepreneur and then ultimately founded a study abroad program called Chimba. And it's in northern Italy in the Veneto region, about an hour outside of uh, Venice, just tucked into the, the mountains. And it's just an absolutely gorgeous program. And Italy's been on my mind a lot over the last seven, eight weeks because of how hard they've been hit by COVID-19 and the pandemic. And I've stayed in touch with them. And my wife and I, Heidi, you know, we met in Italy and we spent our 10-year anniversary over there last May. And so just seeing kind of what is going on over there and seeing how he's kept things going. I got there on 9-11-2001. And I'll never forget the first day that I got there on 9-11-2001, meeting him and meeting the staff and how well they took care of us. And then, you know, to see what they're going through now with all the students um, that have had to return home um, all over the world to their hometowns and just seeing how steady uh, he has been and how uh, Christina Turquette, uh, other director of the program have been, has been inspiring. But some of the things that that stick with me and and, uh, and one story that, that kind of stuck out is my last day of my undergraduate semester, my fall semester, I, I remember being extremely intimidated by going up to meet one-on-one with Dr. Ringlip because you'd go into his office and he was one of these guys that had literally thousands of books, all of which he'd read, all of which he could probably quote verbatim. Um, just an incredibly sharp, intelligent, well-read individual. And I remember getting up there and setting an appointment with him. And I go into the office and it was really just to go up and say thank you and tell him how much this first semester, um, which I didn't realize was going to turn into any more than that, had meant to me. And I go in and I said, look, I kind of mumbled my words. And I said, look, I just I wanted to tell you thank you. And I don't know if our paths are going to cross in five years or in 10 years, but I definitely think they're going to cross. And he said, well, what's on your mind? What do you have in mind? I said, well, I got another you know, nine credit hours. I got to go back and finish um, in the States. And then I'm hoping someday I'll get a chance to come back and live abroad because this experience just meant a lot to me. And he looked at me cold blooded and said, well, if you had such a great experience, why are you leaving? And I said, well, cause I got to go home and finish. And he looked at me like anybody that you've worked with in your career, Brad, who's confident and knows that it's not about like having the answer. It's just a will, you know, long story short, I come back, I meet my wife, I spend three years over there, and uh, he's become like a huge mentor and a huge influence. And that program and that part of the world has meant so much to me that we even named our kids after, um, you know, a lot of the Italians that we met when we were there. So more on him and more on that experience probably for future shows. But uh, shout out to Dr. Al Ringleb and the team in Italy for keeping it down during the uh, pandemic. Awesome story, man. Thanks for thank everybody for listening to uh, us kind of give those shout outs because they're important to us. And I think every single one of you that are listening have somebody that you should pick up the phone and call and tell them or thank them. And, and for your group, for your friends who, who may be listening, tell them to do the same. Every single one of us deserves to give back um, or should be giving back because we got so much help along the way. So whether it's a parenting piece of advice or a business piece of advice, don't just get it all here at the Biz Dads. Reach out, get it other places too. Great episode, guys.